Hi, this is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. Urban Village Church does bold, inclusive, and relevant ministry for people who were traumatized by church, people who feel overchurched, and even the non-churched folks. If you identify with any of these signifiers, we're so glad you're listening. Would you consider helping us continue this Jesus-loving ministry in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. We will now have our scripture reading, which will it's on the screen. Our scripture for today is coming from Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 20. Listen now for what the Lord will speak into your life. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth, will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. This is the word for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, friends. My name is Christian Kuhn. I am the lead pastor for Urban Village. I'm also the site pastor at UBC South Loop. Erin uh, James Brown, who's normally here, and I are doing a switch today. So she is down at the South Loop. And uh, it is really good to be with you here today. One of the nice things about uh, going and preaching at a different location is that I can tell stories to you that uh, South Loop people have already heard before. <laughs> Uh, and maybe are tired of me telling them, but I'm, I'm trusting that I have a new audience today, so uh, I get to tell the story again. Uh, some things you may not know about me is that uh, I typically am a, a fairly uh, mild-mannered person, uh, sometimes lean on kind of being a, more, a little bit more introverted, uh, but I also, one thing to know is that I like to run. I'm a pretty avid runner. So a friend who is a freelance writer, and she one of the magazines that she writes for is Runner's World magazine. So every once in a while, she will write to friends of hers, other runners, and say, I'm working on this article. If you uh, have any expertise or like to be quoted, please let me know. So a year or two ago, she wrote an email to uh, all of the folks that she knows and said, I'm running, uh, writing an article about what she called Runner's Rage. 
Uh, and that means that sometimes when runners are out and about and for whatever reason, just uh, they lash out or do something uncharacteristic perhaps of how they normally are. And as soon as she wrote this email, I thought, ah, that's kind of me sometimes. Uh, and so I wrote back to her and I said, I sometimes have runner's rage, if I'm honest. And so she wanted to talk to me. So she uh, called me and, in the interview and I said, well, sometimes uh, if I'm running, uh, drivers in Chicago, this may come as a shock to you, drivers in Chicago don't always uh, know that the pedestrian has the right of way. I know. And so sometimes if they make a turn and I'm running and they cut me off, uh, let me take a look at this first verse again that Myron uh, read to us. Jesus says to us, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the salt when the two of you are alone. Uh, That's not normally my go-to when a car cuts me off and I'm running. I've been known to maybe do or say some other things uh, to that driver. And as I was talking to uh, the, uh, and this is the article, by the way, and so as I was talking to her about this, and I was explaining some of the ways that I get angry, in my head, I thought to myself, this is going to be the lead of the article, isn't it? (laughs) And in fact, here's the lead sentence from the article. Most of the time, Chris Kuhn is a (laughs) mild-mannered, low-key pastor at Urban Village Church in Chicago. And then it continued to go on. But there are other times, and I can't remember how now, she, I think blocked it from my memory, uh, where she talked about uh, other times he gets angry and she went on. I'm not, friends, I'm not proud of this behavior at all. Uh, I only pointed out to talk about sometimes when we uh, have con- confrontations with other people, we don't always act perhaps in the ways that we would like or maybe in the ways that Jesus calls us to do so. We have been talking a lot about forgiveness during this sermon series and what it is. Sorry, not sorry is the title of this forgiveness or of this sermon series rather. So we've been talking a little bit about the nature of who we are as humans, both beautifully made, but also broken and imperfect. We've talked about anger and what does anger do within us when it comes to relationships and how do we deal with that anger when it comes to forgiveness. We've talked about what does it mean to receive forgiveness from God And how do we forgive one another? And so today we want to talk about reconciliation and what reconciliation is. Forgiveness, for those of you who know something about the Christian faith, forgiveness is one of the things that at the core of who we are. In fact, if you were to keep reading in the text today, it stops at verse 20, what we read, but then it continues on, verses 21 and 22. You may be familiar with this passage. And so after Jesus gives these instructions about how you deal with these relationships with somebody else, uh, and then Peter, one of Jesus' followers who maybe wanted a gold star from Jesus, uh, and goes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive? And Peter says, maybe seven times, thinking Jesus will be so happy uh, that I offered this seven, you know, this perfect number. And Jesus kind of looked at Peter and maybe chuckled a little bit. And depending on the translation, Jesus said, not seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven. So right after the passage today, we see that forgiveness is at the core of this. And I think sometimes when we think about forgiveness, Uh, And when we think about forgiveness in Christianity, 
um, we may try to tie it up in too neat of a bow. And we don't name the fact that forgiveness is really hard and that forgiveness is kind of messy sometimes. And we may throw out sayings or aphorisms about forgiveness. So you may have heard the one about just forgive and forget. But you know, we're all Christians, right? Someone comes up to me, I can forgive, and we just move on with our lives. Like as if nothing ever happened, but that's not the way forgiveness works. And the passage today talks about the nature of who we are and how imperfect it can be. But before I go into the passage, I just want to lift up a couple of things to remind us that I've been talking about in, at the South Loop about what forgiveness is and what it isn't, to name some of the realities of what forgiveness entails. So if we could put up the slide of some of these things. There was a really great book written a few years ago called Amish Forgiveness. Uh, and in this book, it took a look, you may or may not remember this tragedy in 2006 when a shooter went into an Amish schoolhouse and uh, in a small town in Pennsylvania, shot and killed 10 children. And media, of course, came, and one of the things that struck everyone was that the Amish community said pretty quickly that they forgive the shooter. And so many people were taken aback by that, some angry by that quick forgiveness. And so the book was really about looking at what is forgiveness, particularly uh, when the Amish community is thinking about it. So in the middle of this book, they quote a man uh, named Robert Enright who wrote his own book called Forgiveness is a Choice. And one of the things I just want to remind us of what forgiveness is and isn't is that when forgiveness happens or if someone is wronged, that the offense needs to be taken seriously. Again, we can't just say, well, we're Christians and then we'll just say, oh, that's okay. You know, you're a sinner or however you want to phrase it. That's fine. And we just move on. We have to really stop and realize that someone has been wronged and there can be brokenness and there can be hurt. We need to take that seriously. We also need to name that victims have a right to anger. When we talk about angry again, sometimes in Christian circles, and we think that we have to stifle that anger without really reflecting on it and knowing that sometimes we have a right to that if we have been wronged. Also naming that forgiveness can be, it really is, it's a gift given to the offender. I think when we think about forgiveness, often we think of forgiveness as an equation, meaning something wrong has happened. And so the offender goes to the one who has been offended and apologizes, and then the other one forgives, and that equals grace, or however you want to phrase it. And then again, you just move on with your lives. But actually, forgiveness is a gift. And we think of Jesus on the cross. Jesus didn't wait for someone to say, I'm sorry. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So forgiveness, more than anything else, is a gift. But then that brings us to our text today and talking about the forgiveness and reconciliation. And how do those two go together? Sometimes they don't. Sometimes the, the wrong, even though there is forgiveness, the relationship has been changed, maybe even harmed in a way where you can't go on the way it was before. You can't just say, oh, I forgive and forget, and as if nothing ever happened. Sometimes something has happened and the relationship has changed. So there's that tension between naming that, but also hoping for, praying for, that reconciliation can happen. And that's what the text is today, and that's what you want to talk about a little bit. And so we are given kind of a, a, some, a process 
here of what happens, particularly in the church. Now, the translations of the scriptures talk about if someone, if a member of the church has done something to you, another translation is brother, but here we're going to talk about if a member of the church has wronged you. And one of the things, there are lots of really great ifs, the word if and but is in this passage in some really wonderful ways. Because Jesus says, if a member of the church has done something to you, but I think that maybe Jesus could have said when another member of the church has done something to you. Sometimes in the church, we think of the, sometimes people who are outside the church, they look at the church and they think that we're this maybe supposedly, allegedly perfect group of people, always loving one another and always giving each other hugs and coffee and fist bumps and all these things. And if you've spent any time already, I'm hearing some little chuckles to yourselves. If you've spent any time in the church, you know we are an imperfect group. We're called the body of Christ for a reason. We all know that our bodies are imperfect. Amen? We all have something about our bodies that isn't quite right. So Jesus says, if another person has done you wrong, but if we could say when, because it's going to happen when you are in community like this. And then Jesus begins to give us instructions about what to do. And here, I think this is a really interesting thing, some really powerful things, particularly at first when it says that go to the other person and point out what has happened. Notice what the text doesn't say. If you are wronged by someone, then go on social media and let the world know about it. The text doesn't say if someone has wronged you, then just ghost the community. The text says, if someone has wronged you, go to them. Now, I realize this can be a really hard thing to do. This is not easy. Many of us, I think majority of people, we don't like conflict. And so to go to somebody else and say, I feel like I have been wronged here. What can we do about it? It takes an enormous amount, really the kind of courage that I believe only comes from God to go to somebody and begin to name that. But to also look at this passage and realize that they are not throwing the person under the bus right away. They're not going, they're not jumping to the third step here. They're not going to the church and saying, friends, this person has done me wrong without going to that person first. Now, let me also say that this passage has been used for harm in other church communities. Just this week in our, we have a, uh, for those, uh, Nita, who some of you know is uh, on staff. Nita has introduced us to Slack Anyone use Slack in your offices? Slack is an inner office way to communicate with one another. And Juan Pablo Herrera, many of you know, is our interim director of discipleship and talked about for him, he, wants it, he was part of a faith community. And they took this process with him because as they phrased it, you are engaging in homosexuality. And so they went to him individually to name that. And finally, it came out to the whole church. Can you imagine the shame and horror that Juan Pablo felt about this? So I know that this passage has been used to do harm, but I think there is also some good here too, to go to the other person and try to at least explain and work through this to give them the integrity to honor them in that way and not just bail on them and not just tell the community and throw them under the bus, but try to work it out. But then step by step, Jesus takes them through the process to name that that doesn't always work. And so you begin to bring others into this conversation. This is an enormous amount of trust to bring others into this conversation, into this community. And that begins to show us how powerful the body of Christ, 
how powerful a community of faith can be when it's really what Jesus means for it to be, that you can trust one another. I'm having this conflict with a friend and we can't seem to come to grips with it. Can you help us with this? And then to take that final step. Now, I will confess, I've been, in, I've been a pastor now for 21 plus years. I've never had a scenario where I bring all of you in. And so, for example, I'm going to keep picking on Nita. If Nita and I were in a conflict and maybe we brought others in and then we, I would bring Nita up. Friends, we cannot deal with this. I'm going to ask all of you to help us. I've never done that before. How remarkable would that be if you could trust a community like that and you knew that they had your uh, best intentions and they had reconciliation at the heart to help them to do that. And then an interesting, interesting thing in the text too, and sometimes when we read this, if that doesn't work, Jesus is, says here, to let such a one to you be as a Gentile and a tax collector. And sometimes we read that as if to say that if you can't work it out, you just kind of wipe your hands of them. But sometimes we forget that what did Jesus do with Gentiles and tax collectors? He hung out with them. And he continued to hold out hope that there can be relationship. And so this is, I think, what we hope for and pray for in the church, that reconciliation can happen. Now, when we talk about forgiveness, sometimes we love, I, I'll speak for myself, I love the stories of amazing forgiveness and reconciliation. I think as the church, we, we hold out for those stories. Last week at my sermon at South Loop, I talked about a woman named Jean Bishop. Many years ago in 1990, Jean's sister, who lived in the Chicago suburbs, she was in her 20s. She lived in a town home with her husband. She was three months pregnant. And one night, a high school student from the local high school, a high school student broke into their home and shot and killed both of them, both Jean's sister and her husband. I cannot even imagine the rage that she must have felt in that. But she was a Christian and began to think about what is forgiveness. And she walked through that process and at first thought in her mind, like, I forgive him, but I want nothing to do with this man again. But she kept thinking and praying about it till she got to the point where she wrote him a letter. He's still serving time in Pontiac, Illinois. She wrote him a letter and she wrote a book about this change of heart. It was published about three or four years ago. And now to this day, she goes to visit him two or three times a year. I cannot even imagine what that must have been like and how that continues to play out today. And so as Christians, we may lift up stories like this, like, I cannot believe, but this is what forgiveness and reconciliation is. And we may think to ourselves like, I could never do that. That pain, some of you may have experienced that. Someone has harmed you to a point where you may are just beginning to forgive, but there's no way reconciliation can happen. And you're still working on the very understandable wounds that you have felt because of that. So those are the stories maybe that understandably we like to lift up, but we also in the day to day have lots of different ways that people have hurt us or were insensitive to us. And we think about how do I move on? How do I forgive? How do I reconcile? So I want to tell you one of, not quite the story of Jean Bishop, but instead a story that happened to me at the church that I pastored before uh, starting Urban Village. I served in the North Shore of uh, the Chicago area in the, in the suburbs. Now, every church, uh, every church has, uh, or I should say most churches have, especially if they've been around a long time, they have people who have been there for a long time, decades. 
and they have taken care of the church. They have strong feelings about the church, often have strong feelings about the building. These are faithful people. Sometimes they have some ownership issues. Uh, like, this is the way the church should be. This is the way the building should be. And uh, in my previous church, I had a person like that. I'm going to call him Bill. Uh, Bill had been part of the church for years and years and years. And took good care of the church and and loved that church. And if you disagreed with how that church would run, Bill didn't always like that when you expressed the disagreement with that. Now, he and I would have conversations with one another that I thought were uh, not always pleasant, but I thought they were healthy. We could both express where we were coming from. But Bill liked to write letters. And Bill would write me some of the most negative Letters you would ever want to read. In fact, one time he wrote me a letter and he sent a picture that looked a lot like this. So if we could put up this picture. So here you can see, uh, it's a mother duck leading some little ducklings uh, into the sewer and the ducklings have fallen through. And so Bill, in addition to this letter, put a picture very much like this in the letter and wrote, this is the leadership at Christ United Methodist Church. Saying that I'm, if you didn't catch it, (laughs) I'm the mother duck. Leading people so that they're going to fall through the grates. Now, it's a little bit like sometimes when I respond when a car cuts me off. I wish I could say that take the person aside and begin to share how you are feeling in that I did not, thankfully it was snail mail and not email so that I didn't respond right away. It made me so angry. Now in the, in the big scheme of things, this is nothing. It's a letter. And yet letters and words, and in this case a picture, they can hurt, they can sting especially if you like to think of yourself, I I think I do my job okay, and and yet to have him say that your leadership is literally leading people down a sewer. That doesn't feel good. I prayed and I prayed. I talked to other leaders in the church and I said to them, what do we do with Bill? How can we exit him from this community? (laughs) But I had a nudge from the spirit that that's probably not the best thing to do. So I prayed about it and I thought, and I really held him in my prayers. And I, and I realized, I mean, he's really, he had been part of that church for at least 40 years. Faithfully done so many things for that community. And I realized I didn't always appreciate that. I didn't take that into consideration. Now, how he responded sometimes wasn't the most healthy way to do that, but I decided to write him a note of gratitude for all the things that he'd done for the church over the years. And I also, I went over to his house one day, I had the letter with me, and I also, my wife does many great things, including she makes the best homemade raspberry jam that you have ever tasted. I took two of these jars, this is no small sacrifice, took two of these jars of jam with the letter and I went over to Bill's home and I gave them to him, simply saying, I just want you to know, Bill, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for this church. And he was taken aback by this gesture. 
Now, you know what would be a great ending to the story? Is if I could say, Bill changed his ways. Bill never acted that way again. He and I were thick as thieves, but that's not what happened. Bill still continued to write the letters and still continued to grate on me, but it helped me, in a sense, to forgive him. He didn't ask for it, but it helped me in my own process to realize and think about how can I relate to him. Someone once said that when we hold grudges like that against someone else, when you hold and hold and hold on to the grudge, it's a little bit like drinking poison and expecting the other person to suffer. And I think that's what I'd been doing with Bill until I was finally able to release that. And I did that in the gesture with the jam and the letter. Now, friends, I realize this is, it's a small thing. And I realize some of you here today have really been hurt by somebody else. And maybe you're still working through this and you are still angry, understandably so. It may take time. It may take lots of time for you to truly be able to let go and forgive that other person. But I hope and pray that you begin that process and hold out the hope that maybe reconciliation can happen. It might not be the way that you hope that person's behavior might not change in the way that you'd like but that you might still somehow be in relationship because a community of faith, the body of Christ, these kinds of loving relationships are too important for us not to attempt that and to begin and start and continue on that process. And so I hope that these words that Jesus gives to us can be helpful, can be healing, as we remember and recognize that as we go through this process of beginning this forgiving and perhaps reconciliation, knowing and trusting that we do not do it alone. Certainly we have others that come alongside with us, but we know, we know that Jesus walks with us too. Friends, whenever two or three are gathered, we know indeed that Jesus is there in our midst as well. Would you please pray with me? God, we give you thanks for this good news of the gospel. We are grateful for your life, your death, your resurrection. We are grateful for the ways that you show us how to live our lives. And sometimes these ways are challenging to us. It is not easy to forgive. But we trust and pray that you are with us so that we can begin to truly open ourselves up and see another as also a beloved child of God, even if they have harmed us. Be with us in this process, O oh God, because it is only with your help that we can. Give us your example and your leading that we might enter into this process of reconciliation. We pray all this in, in your name. Amen.